Well, the very things that Brother Hale was just singing about were things we'd been talking about all day. Christ our strength, Christ our righteousness, Christ our all in all. And you know, I always marvel. Every time we sing those songs of Brother Hale, he's preaching. He's preaching a message, and we never get tired of it. We love to sing the songs. We love to read the words. And I'm finding out as, as time goes on, as I'm reading them words and ingesting those words, I'm, I'm seeing more and more of Brother Hale's mind, how it was absolutely turned to spiritual things and to how God saves the sinner. The words are alive. They, they, they're wonderful. Uh, can I forget? How could anybody forget the debt of love they owe for the Lord Jesus Christ to suffer so in our own place? Well, we're going to find him going into his sufferings here tonight in, in the 23rd chapter of Luke, if you'll turn there. 23rd of Luke. And I think we came down to approximately verse 13. Now, is that where we were? You, you think, you remember that, when, uh, when Pilate and Herod were made? You've got 16. Okay. That, that's good. Uh, Pilate and Herod had, had actually been at enmity one with another. That's what it says. Enmity, meaning they hated each other. And because the Lord Jesus Christ was shifted from one to the other, Pilate was giving Herod acknowledgement. Hey, here's your man. If uh, you want to judge him, fine. You know, I don't want to reach into your jurisdiction. But he really wanted just to get it off his hands. And then Herod puts the Lord in a gorgeous purple robe and sends him back to Pilate and says, no, go ahead, man, it's your, your jurisdiction, this is your territory, you, you take care of it. And they were made friends that day. That's what it says. Verse 12, in the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. Verse 13, and when Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people, and behold, I have examined him. Meaning he has looked into the situation carefully, taken what they have said and what our Lord had said and what different ones have reported about the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I've examined him before you and found no fault in this man. Touching those things whereof ye accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. Now, if Herod didn't put him to death, nobody would, because Herod was brutal. Herod was terrible, and they feared Herod. And Herod would like to put anybody to death that he could, but he didn't find anything wrong with Christ. Isn't that amazing? Verse 16 says, Then I therefore will therefore chastise him and release him. Now, this is, to me, is awful. For a man being innocent, going to be chastised. Now, there's a reason for it. I think I explained it to you last week. Him thinking that if when he presented 
again the Lord Jesus Christ to the people, all bloody and bleeding and having received this temporal punishment that they would say, okay, let him go. But that was not the case. But on the other hand, that was only a fulfilling of the scriptures. Isaiah 53, I think it's 5. Let me see. Isaiah 53, 5, yeah. With his stripes were healed. Stripes, yes, he was beaten. And uh, there, there's no getting away from it. Now, of course, Isaiah didn't understand that. They, had, they didn't have this picture. They couldn't see the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, and yet here it was, written out in this whole chapter of Isaiah, the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, but try to imagine before it ever happened just how it would happen. Now, you and I can read it and see it happen. In our hearts and minds, because we have the gospel, we can visualize, we can see, we can trace the whole life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when it says, by his stripes were healed, we understand that Pilate had him chastised. Isn't that an awful thing? Now, verse 17 is interesting. It says, for of necessity he must release one of one unto them at the feast. Necessity? What necessity? Well, take a look at John 18.39. John 18.39 And here's what's said by Pilate. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Now, don't say at any of the other feasts. But at the Passover, would ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? So now you're having an insight from the Gospel of John, something you don't have in Luke, just a little bit here that he had told them about their custom. And he's trying to figure out another way to release the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wanted to release Christ according to their custom. Now, we don't have much information about this custom or this ritual or this habitual thing they did. But it only took place at the Passover. I told you that, isn't it strange that on the most religious day of the Jews that they would have a public killing, a public shedding of blood. You see, the Passover has to do with blood, has to do with a sacrifice. And the Romans were smart enough to make fun of the Jewish religion and shed blood and have a sacrifice of crucifixion on the Passover. So, don't know how the custom started, why it started, but there was a custom, and he wanted to release Christ. So we can get back to Luke, and knowing that part, then he said, uh, in fact, that verse can really fit in between 17 and 18. Necessity, he must release one unto them at the feast. Now 18 says, as soon as he had said these things in John, and they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. Uh-oh. Who's he? 
Here he is on the ballot sheet now with the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to vote. Barabbas or Christ. Well, look at Matthew 27, 16. Matthew 27, 16. Give us a little information about Barabbas. Notice verse 15 again too there. It says, Now at that feast, that particular feast, feast of the Passover, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would, the custom we heard about in John. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. And therefore when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, will, Whom will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas or Jesus which is called Christ now it's not his name at this time you understand Christ means the Messiah it says that he was called the Messiah Christ the Messiah so he is calling himself the one that the Jewish nation was looking for Verse 18, for he knew that for envy they had delivered him because he said that he was the Messiah, that he was the Christ. Okay, let's get back to Luke. Verse 19, who for a certain, talking about Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and that's an uprising a rebellion and of course Rome wouldn't stand for that and for murder during this uprising probably some Roman soldier was killed and when that happens you're in trouble it's like some American being over in China and getting his butt whipped with a strap the whole country goes crazy because it was an American that kid I often wonder how his rear end ever healed up it was supposed to be such a terrible terrible thing getting spanked by that bamboo throng whatever it was but anyhow there was a Roman soldier killed and there was nobody going to get out of this and that's why he was cast into prison and why he was scheduled for crucifixion he's a bad actor and Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. Now, remind, now remember, in the meantime, our Lord is beaten. Our Lord is whipped. He's brought back again, and Pilate's presenting him another time now. All bloody, beaten. Verse 20, Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them, but they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Well, maybe he wasn't beaten as yet. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. You know, the chief priests are leading them on. They're the ones leading this cheerleading pack. Chief priests. 
the ones who offer sacrifices, they don't realize that they are acting according to the law. Only the chief priests could offer sacrifice. And they were the ones that were offering the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't know they were doing it properly. The one great, marvelous sacrifice, the one and only sacrifice that would pay for sin, the chief priests were going to offer it up. They didn't know that. There was just murder in their hearts, but it just turned out to be that the chief priests were doing their job. Verse 24, and Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. He finally gives in. Well, you know, he doesn't give in until he's warned again. Turn over there again to Matthew 27, and you'll see that Pilate's wife, verse 19, has a little talk with her husband. And when he was sat, verse 19 Matthew 27, when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. God works in mysterious ways. Now, is a governor going to listen to his wife? Are the people going to be swayed by a woman's advice no way even though she was right but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus so in spite of Mrs. Pilate telling her husband she had a dream it's a bad one I've been troubled all day. Don't have anything to do with him. Get, save him. Don't kill him. So Pilate had that on him also. Now verse 25 in Luke 23. And he released unto them him that for, for sedition and murder was cast into prison whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. An amazing election. The people voted for Barabbas. A notable prisoner. Maybe he was popular with people like O.J. Lots of people for O.J. He killed the Roman. The Jews hated the Romans. They didn't like the enemy occupying their land. They never say anything outwardly, but inwardly in their heart, they always wanted to either kill them or get rid of them. So Barabbas might have been their local hero. Yeah, he probably could run for governor, win with the Jewish people. But that was a terrible decision by Pilate to let the people have their way, deliver one at Rome wanted to do away with because of rebellion, let him go and delivered Jesus to their will. 
And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. What country? Well, we don't know. Was he coming out of the field? Was he just passing through? Did he live a distance from the town and was just coming? They don't say, just as he was coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Okay, there's several pictures here now. Don't know which one's right. Did they put the whole cross on Simon and he carried the whole thing? Or did the Lord Jesus Christ carry the front end of it and Simon the back end of it? Did he help Jesus? Take a look now. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Now, I don't know if he just followed Jesus with the whole cross or if he helped the Lord Jesus Christ to carry the cross. That's interesting. These are things that previously I had said, oh no, they put the whole cross on Simon and he had to carry it. But I'm not sure. Now I'm thinking very possibly that he helped the Lord Jesus Christ to carry it. But again, all it says is that he might bear it after Jesus, okay? Well, let's check those other scriptures that are given in our notes up there. Matthew 27, 32. Maybe that would open that up to us. I hadn't checked it out. I guess I should have. Matthew 27, 32, it says, As they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. Okay. Mark 15, 21. So far, that's not just helping. That's carrying it. Mark 15, 21. Fifteen twenty-one, And they compelled one Simon of Cyrenian who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Okay, there's no helping there either, is there? So what one else do we have left? John 19, 17. John 19, 17. Here's the other side of the, of the coin. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. So here it says that Christ bare his cross. So now there's equal weight with the four Gospels that possibly... Simon helped the Lord Jesus Christ carry his cross because in Luke, our story in Luke, this can't be discounted, said that he might bear it after Jesus, okay? It doesn't <coughs> absolutely clear it up, but there's a possibility that he helped. All right, now verse 27. Oh, by the way that little portion in one of those Gospels gave the name of two believers that Simon was the father of. Now, Simon might not have been a, 
a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Might not have been, but his sons were. They get a mention. And it also verifies who this Simon was according to their genealogy records. Now verse 27. We, we sang about that tonight. And there followed him a great company of people and of women which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Why? Because he knew the future. He knew what was going to happen to Israel. He knew that the Romans were going to utterly destroy Jerusalem. Utterly destroy the temple. Crucify thousands of Jewish people. But they don't know what he's talking about. You and I do. We look back into history, our hindsight is perfect. 2020. We have it given to us in the scriptures. Jerusalem was destroyed 70 A.D. Titus absolutely wiped it to the ground. Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. I'm doing my Father's will. I'm doing what I have set my heart on to do from eternity. I'm going to die for the ones the Father gave me. The ones that he has loved from eternity. Don't weep for me. But weep for yourselves and your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. In other words, you'll be sorry you even had children if you see them suffer and die. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. And they may have said that. They may have said those very things when Jerusalem was being desecrated by Titus. But it is also something that people will say during the tribulation. This can extend out into the tribulation. Look at Revelation 6.16. Revelation 6.16, which hasn't taken place yet. Read verse 15 also. Read verse 15 and 16 in Revelation 6. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men. Now there's a lot of leaders here and there. Seems like there's more chiefs than Indians. And every bondman, okay, here you come down to the people that are in bondage working for others, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lion. Oh, no, don't say that, does it? This is the wrath of the lamb, God's sacrifice, whom God has appointed to be the judge the Lord Jesus Christ is given authority to be the judge over men in the final judgment. The wrath of the Lamb. Okay. 
That was verse 30, when he said, They shall then begin to say, The mountains fall on us, and the hills cover us. Is our Lord projecting out beyond this dispensation of 2,000 years into the tribulation? Very possible. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall they be done in the dry? What's that mean? What's green and what's dry? We see the Lord Jesus Christ was very much alive. He was the living branch. Israel is dried up and gone. It's done. It's rotten wood. And by the time the tribulation comes, they certainly will be dried up and rotten wood. Still rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ, the living one, the green one, the lively one. That's what he's talking about. He was the living branch. Israel's religion was the dry and the rotten. Verse 32, we come upon another scene here. There are also two other malefactors. Well, you see, the scripture says that he was numbered with the transgressors. So it says two other. Our Lord Jesus Christ is a malefactor in God's eyes as he's led to the cross. Not in our eyes. He's our surety. He's our redeemer. He's our substitute. In God's eyes, he's like Brother Hale's first song says, a sinner in God's eyes. The greatest of sinners. The biggest sinner. All the sins of God's elect are accounted to him. They're imputed to him. All the sins of all the elect of all time. You and I couldn't bear the punishment of our own sins for eternity. And the Lord Jesus Christ bear the punishment of sins for all the elect for eternity. So the song we sang tonight about the great debt of love we owe only is magnified here a little bit more. Two other malefactors. What a horrible thing to say about our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet that was his position in the Father's eyes. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. On Calvary, they, the Roman soldiers led by the cheerleaders, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, and then the people. Crucified, hung him on a cross, pierced his hands and feet, blood streaming down from the thorns in his head and from the lashes on his back. Him, the God-man, God himself taking on human flesh to be our substitute. Did he have power to come? Of course he had power. He didn't have to do this. They couldn't have touched him had he not wanted to be our substitute. They couldn't touch him. Many a time they tried to kill our Lord Jesus Christ and couldn't because it wasn't the hour, it wasn't the time, it wasn't the place. Here everything falls into exact position for the way the scriptures had it arranged to be 
hung on a tree, to be pierced, to be whipped, to be spit upon, to be totally humiliated and despised by men. This was the time. There they crucified him, the only one who never sinned. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Now our Lord's hanging on the cross. The first words he utters, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We have often said if our Lord Jesus Christ prays for you, you're in good shape. Does this prayer about all these people mean that they'll all be saved? No, it doesn't. Father, forgive them for what they're doing. Not for their sins of youth, not for their sins of middle age or whatever, not for their future sins. Father, forgive them for what they're doing because it is such a horrible thing to be crucifying the Son of God, the God-man, that judgment should fall upon them immediately. Hold back, Father. Forgive them. Hold back. Because there's some elect out there. There'll be a few elect out there that when Peter preaches at Pentecost... Their hearts will be pricked and they'll say, what must we do? What can we do to be saved? Now think about it. When Peter preached that first time at Pentecost, 3,000 souls were saved. There had to be a bunch here at the cross that our Lord prayed for. They know not what they do. Now they knew that they were crucifying a man. They had not faith to see this man as the God-man. In their eyes, he was a common, ordinary man that they were going to put to death. And they really didn't know why. didn't have a reason. Except the chief priest kept crying, crucify him, crucify him. So they offered up the proper sacrifice for sin. It was done according the way it should be. The priests have to offer him up. I get a kick out of that. Only the high priest could offer sacrifice. And verse 34 also says, And they parted his raiment and cast lots. How about that? Did the scripture ever prophesy anything like that? It said it right on the money. Psalm 22. Turn to Psalm 22. Verse 18, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. How about that? Exactly the way they were supposed to do it. Did they know these scriptures of Roman soldiers? Not at all. Could care less about anything in the Jewish religion, much less their silly book. They had their own gods. 
The Romans had gods of Mercury and Venus and Mars, and that was the gods they built temples to. Stupid, idiotic, dead gods that have no life. They didn't know anything about God's word, and they fulfill it exactly. They parted his raiment and cast lots. And our Lord said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. How many were absolutely forgiven, we don't know. But we know that the judgment of those doing this deed was postponed. There were many that did not repent. Verse 35, And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Oh, how about that? They admit that the Lord Jesus Christ saved others. How did he save others? Well, he healed an awful lot of people who were either crippled, blind, lame, even some dead. He did a lot of things they knew about. And now what a time to admit it and to throw it against him. He saved others. Let him save himself if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. Well, that's just like people today. They know it ain't different. If God is real, then let him just come and do something for me. Let him, let me win the lottery. Let him uh, display himself somehow, make something happen. People are like that. They always asked for a sign. No matter what our Lord Jesus Christ did, he could feed 5,000 people with a couple loaves and a few fishes. And as soon as they get through and he'd preach to them a little bit, they'd say, show us a sign. It just say that you are who you say you are. There was always a terrible confrontation with people. People are difficult to get along with because people have a natural, normal, rebellious heart that it's enmity with God, is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. And when religion gets a hold of a wicked heart like that, you can't turn it for anything. They'll stick to their religion and they'll stick to their guns even though it means blaspheming the Lord Jesus Christ, making fun of him. He saved others. Let him save himself if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. Well, now they're saying that he said he was the Christ, the chosen of God, and they really thought they had won the ball game. Here was the one, the Christ, the chosen of God, hanging on the cross where they put him, bleeding, terribly mutilated. I think there's a scripture in Isaiah, maybe 52, that says you couldn't even hardly tell that he was a human being. He was beaten so bad. Let me check and see if that's Isaiah 52. Yes, verse 14. 
as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. His very appearance was so inhuman looking by being beaten and bleeding. He saved others. Let him save himself if he be Christ, the chosen of God. He hung there for you and me. He did no sin. God had nothing against him personally. There was no reason for him to be there except that it gave him joy to save his people from their sin. Our Lord Jesus Christ took our place. Why do I say our place? Because he loved you and me as much as he loved any of the prophets, any of the disciples, anybody at any time. He had to shed his blood and die in order to pay for sin, your sin and mine. Well, that's as much I better mark it because I always forget where I leave off. And I'm going to make a mark right here. Next Sunday night, we will have the Lord's Supper, and we will continue on here with the soldiers mocking him and offering him some vinegar. We'll see what we have to say about that. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing on our service tonight, talking about the terrible turmoil, the suffering, the humiliation, the pain. Oh, what a debt of love we owe to our Lord Jesus Christ. Make him more real to our hearts this night. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.